Hello and welcome to a new episode of our podcast Macro Monthly. My name is Hans Tegenman and with me are investment strategist Maritza Cabezas and Jori de Wilde. Together we discuss current economic topics and political developments and how they relate to sustainability. This time we will, as always, start with the macroeconomic environment, the war, corona, inflation and interest rates. We will zoom especially into the consequences for inequality of the economic developments and the importance to combat inequality to get changes, like sustainability transitions. And of course we will have our standard items about the data of the month and the frustration of the month. Welcome, Yuri, Maritza, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, Hans. I'm uh, pretty happy. It's a very sunny day today. And yesterday we celebrated in the Netherlands King's Day. I guess it was the first time of a big celebration after two years of not being able to have very big events. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think I got the yeah positive vibes from all that. So you're, you're positive post-corona. <laughs> well, that, that people are able to gather to express themselves. I found it quite nice. Yeah, yeah, that's also what I experienced because I I didn't celebrate King's Day to the same extent as I do normally because I was on a long weekend trip actually before that with some friends for the first time in nearly three years since the pandemic. There we also noticed it was extremely crowded again on the airport and also uh, busy in restaurants, in bars. So really after pandemic life, it felt like. Yeah, so really after n- normal life, is, is it not all also the case, that story of building back better and all that discussions that the economy would change is completely untrue? Yeah, you, you don't really notice it in day-to-day life, to be honest, right? I, I don't know what... And is it good or bad? Well, I think it's it's in some cases it's business as usual and it's good because it gives a little bit more certainty to the things that we were able to do in the past. But uh, you're right, we we spoke a lot about improvements, about what we could do better after so much time of having to think. That still has to be proven. Yeah, I, I find myself back in traffic jams and uh, I hear also you, Yuri, started again flying. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not very good. I do have to say what what I do notice is different is that I work more from home now on a regular basis. So that's something that's really has changed. So it, it's not completely the same. That's that's really something that's also what we notice here at Triodos, right? That we've moved all to one building and we are really urged not to come unless we have a meeting. So yeah, in that respect, things have changed. About things that have changed. Of course, we have seen quite some changes regarding the Ukraine war, like we discussed also in the last podcast we see also some changes uh, we we experience now maybe that the pandemic is over here but in china it's uh, it's quite different and last week uh, the world economic outlook came out with the forecast from the imf did you have a chance apart from having a uh, celebrating king's day and being on a holiday to have a look at it yeah i did i did have a look at it and it's it's not a very bright outlook to say the least so they really cut down the expectations for global growth for this year and also for next. And they really stressed that besides the pandemic and the issues that came with that, now also we have to cope with the war and the consequences that that has for inflation mainly. So that's really something that struck out. Yeah, there was a lot of inflation in it. Maritza, did you, what, what did you get out of it? Well, uh, what I read is that, well, the IMF thinks that inflation will be here for longer. 
the tone was much more concerned tone mm. about the implications also of the war because now they are more outspoken and in, into saying that Western leaders are now doubtful that it will end in the very near term. And so that that makes it forecasts they have been downgraded, I think by one percentage point global growth is now downgraded. So it's the tone was a bit pessimistic in my view. Yeah, maybe it's good because if if you say one percentage point down and, and I had with other colleagues some discussion, yeah, but it's still three, four percent, so mm. it's not bad. Well, it's it's still growth. But can one of you say why it is not so good? Even if you have economic growth, what's the problem then? If you look, they have put in the case of Russia, it's going to be a recession and a very mm -hmm. deep one. And usually the IMF is quite cautious in there. They never, you know, predict recessions in such a magnitude. And now it's a minus 11, I think, percent decline in growth. So I think... The spillover effects also are very well marked with the commodity shock. So I think there is no uh, really that silver lining is not very prominent in this. Uh, I also think that it's spillovers, yes, and also spillovers from the very rapid recovery that we have seen over the last year and which has still pushed up global growth and that we also carry into the next year. So that's a sort of... Yeah, makes it look better than it actually is. So we're already now on the downward spiral and still growth will be okay because we are still experiencing some pickup growth from uh, the recovery from the pandemic. So that's also something that really has to be stressed and that uh, you really should separate the two things. Yeah, I, before we went into this podcast, I saw the growth figures of the US and we have a, a negative growth in the first quarter in the US. So yeah. that means... Mm -hmm. It's not so positive, right? Oh, it's, it's really not so positive. No, that's true. And how can, because one of the puzzles, I have trouble sometimes with explaining people. So we have uh, still growth, less growth than before. We have a very tight labor market, at least in, in Europe and, and in the US. Mm -hmm. So what is the problem for ordinary people? What is the problem that people experience? At the moment, it's mainly inflation, right? And in the long run, we can also have issues with the labor market because if the growth deteriorates and we might end up in a recession, then that could have consequences for your job. And yep. in that case, that could lead to severe uh, difficulties, for instance, with mortgages, right? So you can't afford to pay your mortgage anymore and then that would really spiral into... Uh, yeah, and then you can pay your mortgages and then houses need, need to be sold and then mm -hmm. house prices decline and then we have asset prices that go down and then we have all that. So th is, is is that your central view, you, Yuri? That's that's, that's, that's not the central view. <laughs> Hansen, you know it. <laughs> it's, know. Uh, it's, but it is a realistic view. It is, it is uh, our downside scenario. It's not our base case yet. You do see that also, uh, if we come back to the IMF, that's also what the IMF stresses, that risks are uh, skewed to the downside. So that yep. means that this worst case scenario is more likely than that it all of a sudden goes very good and all is left behind, all the issues. And Moritz, there was of course also a lot of it about emerging markets and I think that was even more negative than for advanced economies, right? Well, I think that one of the concerns that the IMF shows is that the low income countries, a lot of them are running into debt problems now. There is a framework to treat these countries, but it's not being really fully implemented. Mm -hmm. So right now we have Sri Lanka with 
restructuring uh, debt problems. And uh, the question is how to deal with it. The IMF says we're not ready to go in with you before you take certain measures. And that makes uh, the process very complicated. And in the meantime, of course, people are seeing the currency uh, lose value in a very fast space. And so that means that more more poverty is to come. So I think that's a concern of the IMF and uh, of us all, I guess. That's also something that was stressed in the report of the IMF, right? That there's a real divergence between emerging markets and advanced yeah. economies. So that's also something that can't be seen if you just look at the global growth number. So yeah. that's something that's believed beneath it. Yeah, yeah right? you have yeah. to really look beneath it. And may maybe to end this part of our conversation, we made three scenarios in our update uh, last month. If we have to compare the current situation with our scenarios, in what direction are we going? Yeah, any clue? I think we are more moving towards the escalation scenario. And that's based upon the recent moves by Russia to cut uh, energy supplies uh, to Poland and uh, I believe it was Bulgaria. And that could be a precedent for further action, either from the Russian side or from uh, the European side. You cut complete ties with yeah, Russia and yeah. energy. Maritza? Yeah, I think our base scenario for emerging markets was uh, rather cautious and not positive. And I think that's playing out and we expected the war to last beyond this uh, year. And I think that's also playing out. So I think the problem is that we have many factors that are very important in the global economy that we don't know still how they will end. No. And uh, as Yuri rightly mentioned, one is how well energy exports flow from Russia to the rest of the world and uh, how will central banks behave uh, with their aggressive monetary policy. So all these uncertainties are having repercussions in the global economy. Yeah, completely agree. So there's only one solution. We have to come back to this next month. Would be my idea. Let's go to our next topic. Completely different. That's my frustration of the month. I have the privilege of telling my frustration. And my frustration of this month is inequality in the metaverse. So we take a leap forward. And the metaverse, as you know it, is the new version of internet where you can play, build, feel, smell and hang out with everyone. And is the next big thing in technology. Internet 3.0. It should be decentral, open source, cooperative and help sustainability because you don't have to travel to experience, you don't, and so your ecological footprint can be less. So, great. And I like technology, so I really like it. However, what we currently see might lead to the opposite. So we know this week Twitter is bought by Elon Musk. Twitter is not the metaverse, but it shows that really big people, rich people stepping into technology. And normally, except for Elon Musk, it's only for one reason, why they invest heavily, um, because they can earn a lot of money. So also last week's Epic Games from Fortnite, I have a son, so he plays Fortnite, steps in, invest heavily into the metaverse. We have Roblox, also from games, from kids, heavily in the metaverse. And of course, we have Meta from Facebook, heavily in the metaverse. And the principle they use runs completely against the dreamt benefits. They build their own data, try to gather as many visitors and then sell advertisements, collect data, sell parts of the digital world. They call non-fungible tokens. And in that way, completely run against the promise of the metaverse that you can have all kinds of free worlds to live on. And in the end, we only have one what, where we pay for. So that's my frustration of this month. 
It's terrible. Hans, I can fully understand your frustration. And for me, (laughs) uh, no, for me, I guess the issue is that we're creating another world, a parallel world, a virtual world. And we have this world that we still have to fix. I think we all agreed, you know, that Mm -hmm. after the pandemic, things should be improved and that's not happening. So the question is, will this make us somehow forget the issues and the the problems that we have to fix while I am in some lost island in a virtual world drinking a piña colada, will I forget about, you know, the basic things in life and things that matter? I mean, you cannot drink a a real-life piña colada on your island. It's a virtual one, so you cannot taste it. My avatros will will do that for me, and uh, that will uh, seemingly give me uh, the same feeling, good feeling. It it feels a bit, Hans, the way you describe it, like that new parallel world is actually, again, a duplication of the world that we already have, which is, again, capitalism in a form that we don't want, and we know that doesn't work, so... I guess we will not forget our problems in that way, Maritza, because we are still stuck in that same capitalistic environment. So my, my, indeed, my problem with it is that we introduce all the flaws we have in our current system in a virtual new system, yeah. which can be great. So people, I wrote a column on it, and people think, yeah, but you're against technology. No, I like it, and I think it can be great, but only if we do it in the right way. In that sense, then it's also a danger if you are sitting on an uh, deserted island, Maritza, because in that parallel world, you could also have climate change and then <laughs> you would be the first no, the, one the, to The real gone. problem on the deserted island is probably that she is a guest and that she has to pay with her data. So oh, yeah. that will be the real problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I, I think to put things in perspective, uh, we have to acknowledge that technology was a, a big plus uh, during the whole pandemic yeah. and that it developed and it helped many countries, let's uh, say, meet ends through financial technology and other things. But I think that trying to create a parallel virtual world where we can look different, we can look like we like, uh, you know, mingle with the people we wouldn't be able to mingle in, in real life. I think there's some questions to be asked and I hope people do it in a very, this in a very conscious way. We hope so too, but still my frustration of this month is that I don't think it will happen. Let's go on to our next part, which is about the longer term perspective about transitions and this time especially on, on equality. You've both have written a column on more or less this topic, maybe from a little bit different angle, but I think you read the one you wrote, and mm. hopefully you remember. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Yes, it was about inequality and climate change. And it was because we had the election in France, I was thinking also about yellow vests. Mm-hmm. I think that was maybe a little bit behind it. Can you, can that you was, elaborate? Uh, apparently you didn't read my column yeah, because I, yellow vests were in my column. Yeah, I, that's right. <laughs> yeah. No, that's true. So the point that I made in my column was that Climate action is actually doomed as long as politicians don't also address inequality in their countries or on a global scale, actually. So, for instance, what you see, and that was indeed one of the examples that I gave in France, was that Marine Le Pen was very successful in her campaign because she really focused on inflation and how to get um, the income back to normal levels for, for the households. And... People were very susceptive to that thought because they were really feeling the impact of the war and the pandemic. But at the same time, Marine Le Pen also 
wanted to cut subsidies for renewable energy sources and close down windmills and sun parks. So that's really something that is threatening the action for climate. And yeah. in that respect, it's very dangerous to neglect, especially income and wealth inequality, and purely focus on, on climate change, because then eventually populists will be elected and they will destroy all of the good work and maybe um, yeah, uh, regroup. Yeah, and what I really liked about your column, because I read it but mm. a long time ago, was the, the the example of Costa Rica. Yeah, that's which true. Which is completely, yeah. which is positive, but uh -huh. it ends not so positive. No, that's true. So so Costa Rica had a, a, an election this month, beginning of this month, and they chose Rodrigo Chavez. And Rodrigo Chavez has stated that he might be willing to explore for gas. And that's... Highly remarkable because Costa Rica has been one of the front runners in sustainability and, and climate action over the last decade, actually. And they really, at the moment, source nearly all of their energy from renewable energy sources. And they are really in favor of protection of the rainforest. And at the last um, climate meeting, uh, they really grouped with other small countries to really be in favor of the climate action. And in that respect, you can clearly see what will happen because why was Rodrigo Chavez uh, elected? That was because there was a huge unemployment, which has built up over the years, uh, lots of income and wealth inequality, which has grown. And so you can clearly see that in that respect, if you don't focus on inequality, that will come at the cost of climate. And Costa Rica scored over the last few years very high on in the World Happiness Reports and all kinds of subjective well-being indicators. So that's... Mm -hmm. The policy was right, and maybe Maritza, from your emerging markets perspective, and not only about Costa Rica, but in general, the inequality part of what's happening in the economy, not only in transitions, but also currently with respect to inflation, that's a threat, I think, and for also political stability in a lot of countries. Well, I, I think uh, Yuri mentioned it slightly, that when you have inflation, you tend to attract populists that will pretend to be able to fix things very fast. Of course, since inflation is a burden mainly for the low-income households, then these people will be very willing to elect someone that will have this fast solution. So that is a major risk. And uh, I think uh, if, if we take Costa Rica, I mean, they've been having already many years of uh, fiscal problems and they've been trying to get in touch with the IMF. But the issue is that you need policies that are very integrated. You mm -hmm. cannot say, if we do renewable, we're okay. You need to have right distribution policies. So it's it's a whole package. Yeah, it's a very and demanding Do you, do you have the feeling that politicians are aware of this mix that you should be implemented, like inequality and climate change? Because I really feel they don't at the well, moment. Well, the thing right? is that, that these things can't be solved in a very short time. So, and politicians have a very uh, short time horizon. So uh, they are aware, but they have to make their goals very, uh, yeah, tangible in, in the near term. But so, that's strange because climate action is for the long term, right? So then they do have a long horizon for climate, but they don't for inequality. Yeah, but they do not enough on, on climate. They do. No, uh, politicians true, are not known to be climate, let's say, uh, activists. No, that's true. But if you, for instance, look at the Netherlands, they do more on climate now or their focus is yeah. more on climate than in addressing inequality, yeah. right? So, yeah. 
I was thinking about two things. One, one I read an article in the Guardian that that stresses that for successful politics on climate, you should not stress the economic effects of climate change, but you should stress the health effects. So make it personal for here and now. That's what they did in California, for instance, and there they changed completely their their climate policy. So to bring it, so make it also in the here and now. So stress the health effects of less pollution, etc. That's one thing. And the other thing is that in terms of successful climate transition policy, it helps to be in a less unequal society. Because on the one hand, the more unequal, the more unequal also the effect on climate. Yeah? So very rich people have a higher environmental footprint than poorer people. And in an unequal society also, the, the vested interests are stronger. So they can oppose very successful policy changes. And I think we have a mix here also in the Netherlands yeah. uh, of, of those. Uh, so, so you can think on the combination of in combating climate change helps if you also combat inequality also in, in, in changing the process. Yeah, uh, what, what, what I worry is that if you're a country and you happen to have a commodity, then exploiting that commodity brings resources rather fast. Yeah. While if you want to have a tax policy that redistributes, you first have to grow generate income, generate employment, and then it works. And that takes much more time. So the quick solution tends to be actually the one that is not the best. In that respect, then you should really see that it also collaboration globally is, is one of the solutions, right? Because if you leave it to individual countries, indeed, if you have an emerging market, which is really dependent on one fossil fuel source, then other countries should step in. Otherwise, it will not work. Yeah, I think I'm I'm really in favor, especially for the renewable energy agenda, that it be taken at the global level. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons. Absolutely. And the same, of course, goes for taxes. Taxes, obviously, and that, that has taken time. It's now uh, at least, let's say, countries that used to favor tax exemptions, that's being taken over at a global level. That's, mm-hmm. uh, that's yeah. a positive effect. But uh, absolutely, global, uh, these type of things have to be taken at another level. Maybe as as last part of this conversation, I was also reading the IMF World Economic Outlook and I found a box there on the effects of extreme inequality. So extreme rich people on what they do with the savings globally. So we discussed for numerous years about what we call the savings glut. So especially we're talking about China and there were excess savings, not productive, and that drives down interest rates, etc., But they did new research and they found that extreme rich people have so much money and they can buy Twitter from it or other stuff, but they don't use it productively. And that can be detrimental for the world economy because it's it's not used productively, so there's no growth and, that, and it leads to nothing. And this effect has become larger over the last 10, 20 years. So inequality in itself can be hindering any transition, yeah. whatever. So at And it's not normative or or value. It is about the economics, the economic effects of inequality. Yeah, I think the reasoning here is a bit different for advanced economies where you have the high income households with excess savings. And then you have also China with excess savings. China has excess savings because basically they don't have a pension system that is good enough. They don't have the safety nets, health uh, insurance. And so they need to save for uh, rainy days, let's say. 
And so the the drivers of these excess savings are different, and I guess that that makes uh, yeah, and, that and and therefore the economic effects, and they are more detrimental. If we have too rich people, then we have people saving because there's a lack of social security. So yeah. there are two elements. So to round off, uh, yes, less inequality would help any transition, and keeping it on the agenda definitely helps. Let's go to our last item, which is about data of the month. We always look back first. We gave a forecast, or you gave a forecast last month about the consumer confidence in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. So we had almost the all-time low last month. And the bet was, will it be an all-time low, the new figure, or not? And you said, yes, it will be an all-time low, Yuri. I did. And Maritza, you said, no, no, people. <laughs> no, I said sideways. I'm not so uh, no. positive, but I said sideways. Sideways was also wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so you can already hear that uh, Yuri was right. Dutch consumers have never been gloomier than this month. Yeah. Not on King's Day, but the rest of the month. Consumer confidence stands at minus 48, down from minus 39 in March. The previous low was reached in March 2013 during the euro crisis. In April 22, consumers were more pessimistic than ever about the economy, while the willingness to buy also reached an all-time low. So the virtual bottom of wine in the metaverse on a deserted island goes to Yuri. Thank you. Um, um, Hans, I just want to remind you, I think you're owing me a bottle of wine from my... It was the happiness index, and I, oh, yeah. if I recall correctly, I had it yeah. right that time. I have to. So I would prefer it not on a virtual level. <laughs> <laughs> we can, we yeah. can do it personally, of course, of course. But we first do a new bet. Yuri was right. Let's shortly discuss how can it be that we have an all-time low in consumer confidence, while we have a big party yesterday in King's Day, while we have a labor market which is tight as it has never been. What is going on? I think what you what you clearly see is a divergence between, on the one hand, the ending of the pandemic and people that have, as we just discussed, excess savings and are really mm-hmm. willing and waiting to spend. And on the other hand, people are seeing um, everyday new uh, news items in the newspaper about inflation and the war that is uh, worse and worse. So if you uh, quiz them with the survey, then their consumer confidence is very low. And it's concretely, uh, it's affecting the wallets of people who have to pay every month higher energy bills. So it's it's not uh, simply uh, something that is being said, it's being felt. It's also the price in the supermarket and what you experience every day. And I think that 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 might be part of it. I think it's also, uh, in part, a separation between different groups in in the population that you see that the higher incomes, they still have some room to spend maybe the lowest incomes are already feeling it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, but as we move further... Huh? It's it's again about inequality, right? Partly. Yeah. Partly. Yeah. Um, let's go to the next month. We have a new bet at stake. At stake this time is what will be the rate, it will, as we think, a rate hike, or what will the Federal Reserve, the central bank system in the US, do? And... Um, The bet will be, will it be 50 basis points hike? So a real, uh, not unprecedented, but a historical high rate hike or not? Let's keep it simple. 
Well, I'm in for a 50 basis point uh, rate hike. Yeah. Why? Basically, I think that the tone has been set by the, the chair of the Fed. And he has said that given the threats of higher inflation expectations, so they think that that will catch on in the future, mm-hmm. that it probably is better to start raising rates at a faster pace now. And the 50 basis point seems, seems uh, reasonable. Oh, okay, we make it a little bit easier for Yuri. Mm-hmm. You can say more or less, you cannot say more or less than 50. <laughs> you cannot say the same because we no. need to have a bet. Hey, that's, that's a shame because I also believe Maritza is actually right. But no, then I would, say, I would say more because that would still be a, a huge surprise because no one expects it. But it's, it's more likely than less precisely because what Marissa was just saying is uh, that the, several of the Federal Reserve officials have indicated that this is the way to go. Okay, to make it official, you say 50 basis points, you say more, although you think the same, but you say more. Yes. Yeah. And you will say less, Hans, and we I will s- see who will, will get the... I will say, no, I was not part of the bet, but if you want me to bet, I, I, I will say less, because I don't know, and I don't <laughs> believe it. <laughs> but I want to say it if you want to. Okay, uh, we come back to it next month, and we see who's right, and mostly then we can discuss what, uh, what's going on. Yes. Thanks for listening and don't forget to tune in next time and subscribe to our channel Inside Impact Investing and hopefully you also let us know what you think of it. Thanks. Thanks.